Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. This Unnamed Automotive Podcast is where two journalists, that's Ben and myself, talk all about the newest cars in the industry and some of the latest things that we've driven lately. So, Ben, tell me, what have you been driving lately? Well, I headed down to the southern U.S., and when I say southern U.S., I want to point out that the south includes Florida, because that's where I started in Tallahassee. I picked up the 2019 BMW X7, and then I drove it from Tallahassee, Florida, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Now, I know what you're thinking. Those are two completely random points on a map in the United States, and you Mm -hmm. are correct. So... When you drive, first of all, this is in, it's supposed to be exciting news. You don't sound that excited about it because the X7 is all new. It's the first ever X7. Wow, Sammy, really? You bought into that that marketing hype, first ever. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. But it's not the first ever three-row SUV from BMW, is it? No, we've talked about the X5 very recently, I think within the last month or so, uh, which is also available with a third row, although not... Every model can be specced that way. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about the X7 is BMW hasn't had it. <laughs> hold on. I heard your – I heard your uh, – I heard that pause. It's a, it was a very dramatic pause before you said what's very interesting about the X7 and then thought about it. Okay. I have, I have one <laughs> – there's one fact about the X7 that I do find very interesting. So the X5's third row – it's yep. known for not being great because it's hardly useful. Let's let's face it, pretty much every midsize SUV that has a third row grafted onto it at some point, it's a penalty box, it's there for kids or pets. It's not really something you want to put people in. But BMW claims the third row on the X7 has more room than the second row on the X5. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm actually – I think we talked about this as well in our X5 conversation. Yeah, we when had I a said, weird argument about it with your freakish the, body that was too large. And uh, top, uh, well, you're wearing like a top hat, right, in the X5? Yes, but I remember telling you that the X5 second row is really not that spacious at all. So this, and, is, this is your way of roundabout trash-talking the X7. <laughs> By no. saying, BMW is like, hey, guess what? We made a third row that's as big as our other vehicle's second row. And then Sammy's like, well, that's no great shakes. <laughs> That is ex- that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, it's not a hard feat for them to to accomplish. At least that's what I imagine. So tell me, is it a comfortable second and third row? Actually, to be honest, it's pretty comfortable in the third row. The second row is great. No complaints whatsoever. The third row, Good. it's actually fairly easy to get back there. And mm-hmm. once you're back there, you feel, you feel pretty regal. I'm not going to lie. It, it does feel like it was designed with adults in mind. Now, keep in mind, I'm not a very large person. I'm about 5'7", so uh, I have a freakishly long torso, but that doesn't necessarily come into play when evaluating an SUV. Um, ben, your qualifier was it's pr- it was designed with adults in mind. Are you an adult? I am an adult. Okay, then. Then it works. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Those are the criteria. They were – that's probably – they were just like, yes, it works. Like, but uh, um, the, the, the other thing about the X7, though, and this is something I really want to stress – is it's essentially an X5 that's longer and somewhat heavier. Okay, talk that's, to me about that. Is that's, that, that's, <laughs> in, my, in my opinion, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. No, it's, it's not. You know, there's nothing dramatically different about this vehicle as compared to the X5. In fact, you know what's strange? The X5 is actually wider. What the? 
Yeah, somewhat wider. Stylistically, that's what the look they went for. Now, I just mentioned the word style, which means I can't get away without talking about the front bumper and the grill on the X7, which has become so divisive. Honestly... I, I said honestly so many times this podcast. I don't know why. I, that's I my... appreciate you being honest in this podcast as opposed to all the past podcasts. That's my crutch word today. <laughs> but uh, there's BMW's taken a lot of heat for the ginormous grill on the X7. Personally, I don't have a problem with it. I think it looks fine. I mean, this is a large vehicle to begin with. It's going to have large features. It's big boned. Uh, yeah. It has a whole bunch of air scoops and stuff. No, I don't stop care. This. Stop this. In, I... It's 2019. Design should mean design, not just how big of a grill can we put on a car. I'm not, that is yeah, what I, I imagine. That is exactly what the poor designer at BMW is locked in a <laughs> he's locked in a room making all these gorgeous new evolutions of our favorite like three series, and then somebody walks in and is like, "No, no, no, this is all wrong. We just need a big grill." Where's the grill? Where I can't see the grill from across the football stadium. No, exactly. But I don't think the grill is that out. Outlandish. I I don't think that it's I think people are just accustomed to hating big grills now. I think that's the trendy thing to do, at least in our industry. Uh Lexus was the, the whipping boy for a long time for its giant grills, and then mm-hmm. Audi is starting to get a little bit of a of a grill backlash. And and now you have uh you have BMW, which is like they made an X seven, it's big, of course the grill's gonna be big, so the sky is falling. I, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, then. If we're going to talk about the front end, I need to talk about the rear end. Does this still have a split tailgate? Yes, it has a split tailgate with all of the same problems that the X5 split tailgate has. I won't go into them in detail, uh, but on the past episode, we talked about how you have to reach over this little bottom lip on the tailgate, and you have to open it twice if you want to get anything big back there. It's, It's... Land Rover's had a similar split tailgate for a long time. I personally don't see the need for it, and it's a little irritating in certain cargo loading situations. I know Sammy hates it. Sammy hates that that split tailgate more than he hates the giant grill. Yeah, maybe. I think so. Uh, I, if you have a very, uh, a very useful or practical use case scenario for the split tailgate, please email us or tweet us or Instagram message us or screenshot whatever or take if a photo put, and show us. If you put skis on and then held on to that little grill lip on the back of an X5 or an X7 and then careened through a parking lot, gripping on with with your just your fingers for dear life – don't tell us about it because yeah. I don't want to be involved in that liability situation or the suggestion that anyone should do that. But maybe, I don't know, anonymously post about it somewhere and send us the link. Okay, so it's essentially a giant X5, which is good and bad. Well, it's not super giant, though. It's, 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 oh, I, it's I, a I bigger say, X5. It's a, yeah, a, bigger a longer X5. X5. Yes. Uh, and as such, it drives – if you're – so <laughs> the funny thing about driving from Tallahassee to Baton Rouge – Oh, let me guess. Is it all highway? It's all highway. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> um, large parts of it were hurricane-ravaged two-lane where oh, we went through depressing. towns where a lot of people had lost their roofs of their homes and it was all covered with tarps. It's uh, it's a, it's kind of a, a rough – parts of it are, are, are having a rough time right now because of uh, the extreme weather that Florida has been seeing. But a lot of the rest of it was – I think it's I-10 – is what we were on. And uh, it's really hard to tell anything about a vehicle when you're just cruising down the highway. I don't know if you've ever thought that way, Sammy, but I know that yeah. it, it's not the best situation. Uh, but the reason I bring up the highway driving as we plowed through Mississippi and Alabama is it if you were to tell me, if you were to blindfold me, or better yet, cover the rearview mirror, <laughs> and then tell me I was driving an X5, I would have believed you. 
because dynamically in a straight line with no curves or corners or hills, it feels exactly like an X5. Okay, that's pretty good. It's a, that means it's a it's a quiet vehicle. It's a comfortable vehicle. Um, it's it should be fairly fast. I mean, I remember the X5. I love the V8. So, what did you drive in the what, what, what drove, motors well, did you drive? It's the same drivetrain. So you get the uh, you get the same turbocharged six cylinder, the three liter, yep. and you get the four point four liter twin turbo V8. Okay, and those are pretty good engines. They right? are great engines. They are great engines. And that V8 is a is perfect. I love that. In the uh, X seven, it has four hundred sixty two horsepower and four hundred seventy nine pound feet of torque. And that's an eight-speed automatic transmission, and of course, all-wheel drive is standard with this beast. Uh, it's it's pretty damn quick. Uh, you you know, pass it will. I, I didn't really do any off-the-line launches. I mean, we were mostly on the highway, so it was hard to do that. But it, it feels it feels like more than enough power. And um, in terms of fuel mileage, there's not a huge difference. I think we got something like 24 out of the six on the highway. Uh, the okay. six has 340 horsepower and 332 pound-feet of torque. And uh, I, I and of course I personally believe those are not accurate numbers. I think BMW's straight six puts out a lot more power than that. <laughs> um, and and uh, in case we were looking at numbers, though, it's six point one seconds to sixty for the uh, inline six, and then the turbo V eight is about five point six five point five seconds. So that's that's really crazy. Like I, <laughs> for a big car like that, yeah, it's, for sure. it's really big and uh, it's it's really fast and it's super comfortable. Um. There's some funny stuff inside of it because, like, I, we talked about it on the X5 about how it has that like Sephora package with all the crystals glittering on the shifter and the uh, the iDrive. <laughs> more control. like a Swarovski, not Sephora. No, I think it's more <laughs> more uh, Forever Twenty One than yeah, <laughs> that's right. Else. But um, the uh, it has that, but it has all sorts of other nice stuff too. Like you and I are both fans of the X5s interior, the cabin. It feels nice and upscale. The X7 doesn't really push it too far past what the x5 already has but that's that's fine i mean it it feels good it's it's well executed and uh, on an eight hour road trip which is what i was on um it was certainly a great place to spend some time very nice okay so um are you still on board with the gesture controls are you into that still no not at all very good and uh one thing i want to add too (laughs) that the x7 has that the x5 didn't at least the last x5 that i drove it had all these um off-road modes Yes. Like yeah, uh, you can get a, a, an off-road package with the X5 okay. that has all those features. Okay. Well, the X7 I drove had them, I guess. I don't know if it's standard. I'm assuming. And did you use be... any of them on the highway? Cuz that's didn't, dangerous, man. But I drove on a beach. Uh, oh man. I don't know if that's legal, but I did it in Florida in Pensacola and um I used the sand mode, I think. I don't know. Anyway, it worked fine. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's my feedback. What do you think? It did when you put it in sand mode. Besides put a a sign on the dash that said sand mode. It probably backed off um, the uh, the throttle and probably started in second gear. The other thing is, though, no one who owns an X7 is ever going to drive it on the beach. Like, maybe they'll drive it on the beach into the ocean by accident (laughs) because they've lent it to a teenage daughter or son. I think that's the most likely X7 on a beach situation. But this is not an off-road vehicle. We did drive it uh, – I did drive it off-road on some sandy bluffs as well in what I think was a national park. And <laughs> it, it, it dug itself in a little bit, but it didn't get stuck. Mm-hmm. So that's great. That's good. It has adjustable uh, air ride suspension, so we just jacked it up and got out of there and no one caught us. Um, one of the things I forgot about with the off-road package is that whenever you – first of all, it's not just called off-road. It's called 
X off road. I don't think and it every, <laughs> And every time you pick um, a setting, they're called X something. So it's X snow, X sand, X gravel, and X rocks. Did you notice that? Did you, you had to have noticed that. Uh, I did not notice that. Oh, come on, man. Uh, this has the two axle air suspension as well, right? I'm sorry? The air suspension? Yeah, I just this? mentioned that. I just mentioned that. When I was um, getting stuck and not getting stuck. And this air suspension is really is really good, isn't it? <laughs> what do you want me to say? Yes. I mean, what, good compared to what? I mean, do you ever feel it in motion? Do you ever uh, – it, it levels out – in my experience, it levels out the ride very nicely. And then um, when you're unloading groceries, for example, I know you might not have had to do that. Yeah, because I don't uh, eat like a human being. No. Well, I mean, you weren't doing any groceries in your X7. I know. I'm just, I'm just busting your balls. <sighs> I know you know that I consume energy in the form of cubes that are created by an elaborate contraption I've designed. You know that. Uh, yes, you, but Soylent Green is our people, man. You okay. know that, right? That's culturally relevant 40 years after the film <laughs> Has came no out. one seen that movie? Yeah, 40 years ago. <laughs> okay. I want to know one last thing about the BMW. How much does it cost? Oh, so that's an interesting question. In the United States, it starts at $74,000, which is a fair amount of money. It's it's a decent hike over the X5. Um, and that's in for Canada, a straight six model, right? Yeah, you can, and, in, and in the U.S., you can also push it up to you know mid-90s, if not $100,000, depending on your options. Okay, that makes sense. So that's a that's a. I mean, that's a lot of money still. I mean, the X five starts at sixty, so you're looking at paying fourteen grand more for the you know plus two on the X. Right. Um, and but, I wouldn't mind comparing this to like a Range Rover, like a proper Range Rover. What Not is the sport. What is a proper Range Rover? They just call it the Range Rover. Yeah, exactly. Why don't you just call it that? Why did you have to qualify it? I thought you. you made me I was the, worried that you would ask me if it was the Sport or the. The Sport is the sport. only three row they offer. Okay. You can't get a three-row Range Rover. Do you know why? There's actually a reason. Tell me. So I asked Land Rover many years ago about this, and they said that um, their market research had revealed that mo- for most people who buy a Range Rover, it's like a fourth or a fifth car, So okay. it, at least. So if they have the need for something with, to carry more passengers, they can just do that with another vehicle. But for people who own a Range Rover Sport, it's often their only vehicle, and they need it to do everything. So that's why they gave that the third row. That's very important information. So this, do you think this thing would compete with a Range Rover? It's hard to say. I mean, price-wise, it certainly does. I don't. Think I mean, some, some Range Rovers can get very expensive. Yeah, well, the autobiography Winchester shotgun double turtle edition, like the insane ones that have like porcelain serving trays yeah, in the back. and Just the Cruella de Vil version. Yeah, yeah, those are quite expensive. Those are like a quarter million dollars. <laughs> but, um, I, I, I don't think so because – if you were to park this beside an X5, they're so similar. I mean, aside from the grills that everyone hates. Yeah. And dynamically... And that's everybody's... a bad thing. Is that what you're pointing at? What I'm saying is it's not necessarily as exclusive as a Range Rover, which is clearly not a Range Rover Sport. And mm-hmm. which I think feels more refined than the X7. The X7 is very good at what it does. But I think the Range Rover has something beyond that. Plus, if you want to look at it from an off-road perspective, the, the Range Rover has the credibility that the X7 never will. And I don't and know. We've, if, got all the, we've got all the modes and the air suspension. Yeah, all the modes and the air suspension and no reputation for off-road. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, it's it's just Range Rover's managed to cultivate this brand image that I don't think BMW has. And I think image is very important when you're reaching six figures for, for a vehicle. So that's just my opinion, though. 
That's tough. Okay. Well, I'm not saying that the Range Rover is leagues better, but I'm saying that I think it's more exclusive if you're that kind of buyer. I think it has more cachet. Okay. You know what? I've got a car next week that I want to talk about uh, that has a very interesting image, and I'm not sure if it completely um, deserves it, but we'll bring that up later, okay? Oh, okay. Thanks for okay. vague Remind vague, me. Vague Remind booking. me, though. Vague casting. <laughs> hey, there's something interesting that I want to tell you, but I don't know when I'm going to tell you or if I'm going to tell you at all. Coming okay, up next. fine. Well, I want, to, I, I want to continue this conversation about uh, capable vehicles that are very expensive with the Mercedes G550. And that's what we'll talk about next week. Okay. okay. All right. That's okay. fine. That's, that makes me feel a little less uneasy. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Like, I now can, you know what's happening. Like, now I can prepare for it. Yes. Um. In Canada, it's very expensive. It starts in the in like ninety thousand dollars. Everything in Canada get. is expensive. Get used to it. <laughs> Our dollar, why? Um, would you recommend this over a Mercedes GLS or an Audi Q7? So I, it doesn't compare to the Q7. Is not a three row, is it? I think it is. Yeah. Can you add a three row to it? I, this is not. This is much bigger than a Q7. I mean, one's an X7, one's a Q7. How no, much bigger can it be? The, the, the Q7 is essentially the A6 equivalent, right? Well, there's it's an, there's it's definitely a, a third row. It's an X5 equivalent. It's that sized. So well, I don't what's, think, an X, what's a Q8 then? A Q8 is the coupe version of the Q7. See how marketing has messed us up and we can no longer make direct comparisons? So I, I don't think that... Yeah, the, the Q7 has three has three rows, but maybe that third row is best left for... What's the price? What is the price does it start at? Okay, let me. Because you gotta, you gotta, you gotta entertain them while I look for. Well, I'm just like this. To, in my mind, the Q7 is an X5 competitor. I don't think Audi currently has an X7 like vehicle in their lineup. I don't think they've necessarily. Oh yeah, you're right on the money. Yeah, I, these are so um, not expensive. No, in comparison. Uh, so I, I, I don't think there's necessarily a comparison to be made there for the GLS. It's been a long time since I've driven one, maybe two years. And it hasn't changed a lot in the past few years either. So I can't necessarily say. uh, I mean, I liked my time in the X7. Um, I'd be interested to see what the GLS interior is like now and to experience the power uh, from, um, I guess, they still offer a V8 in that vehicle, correct? In the GLS? Yes. Yes, I believe so. I'd like to try that out before I make any kind of comparison. And you know what? You made a pretty strong um, statement right off the back, uh, right off the bat, saying that you drove it only on the highway. And I don't think that's a. I honestly don't think that's a big deal because these these vehicles are probably road trippy, daily driving kind of like their best function is going to be road tripping, and then they're going to be driven daily. Not. It's not like a dynamic car that you want to take through winding no, roads. No, but, or I, like that, but right? with a vehicle like this, I want to be able to put it through the cycles of use where it would be used, which means loading people, loading cargo, and also driving on city streets because it's quite big. And I, I want to see what visibility is like in traffic. I want to see what parking's like, uh, if that's a hassle at all. All those little things I think are important when you're considering a, an SUV of this size. And I didn't get any opportunity to do that, so it's hard to have a complete picture of what the vehicle's like. A car that's just under $100,000, did it have any of those, like, uh, any useful driving or safety assistance features? It had the whole, like, keep your hands on the wheel, but secretly the car's driving for you thing. 
<laughs> yeah, what, what's with the mixed messages? And yeah, and it has the adaptive cruise control, and it has all sorts of other um, warnings and and assistance that I turned off. Like uh, if you cross the line, it gets mad at you. If if you cross the line, if there's something too close. Yeah, it's like it's like you know, like a buddy cop movie from the '80s where like yeah. one of the cops is always crossing the line, exactly and the other cops like Murtaugh. Like, yeah. You're going to take your badge and your gun. Think of your kids. And he's like, I am thinking about my kids and all the kids this scumbag's going to kill. Like, it's yeah. kind of like that. And uh, I turned that off because I don't need that partner. <laughs> the the partner that says, think about Yeah, I don't, need, I, don't need someone, I don't need someone pumping the brakes on me crossing the line. Yeah. Certainly not an X7. That's why we barely drive together. <laughs> why? Because you're always crossing the line? No, because you're always crossing the line. And I'm trying to reel you back, man. Yeah, well. Yeah, I know. It's more fun in our own cars, anyways. We can listen to our own music. Although you have great taste in music. Um, for, I think that's that. all I want to talk about. The X7. Is that enough? That's do, totally do you have enough. Any more? Think, you know what? If I'd driven it in more varied conditions, I probably would have more to say. Uh, but I think that's a pretty fair encapsulation of my experience with the vehicle. So, actually, actually, wait, 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 wait. wait. I, you, you know what's had... interesting? What's interesting yeah, is, is the week that I drove the X7, I also had the X5 at my house. So right. I came back from this road trip in the X7 and got right back into an X5 with the twin-turbo V8. So it was very interesting from that perspective. Just just to really cement the fact that the X7 drives so much like the X5, which is a big compliment to pay for it to pay to it because it's so much bigger. Right. I wanted to actually ask you, you know, we've been I hate this like uh there's been this crusade by enthusiasts who say you know bmw's lost their way and i mean here's another suv does it have any bmw like specific traits or qualities that you think um you should expect from a bmw be that luxury dynamically dynamics or or engagement or styling or you know the straight six for example well you mean i mean it has the straight are you talking about does it relate to bmw's heritage in some way like i don't understand the question Does it feel like a BMW or does it just feel like a like a luxury SUV with a BMW badge on? Like, is it cookie cutter? You know what I mean? Well, it, it feels exactly like the X5. So does that make a cookie cutter? I don't know if that's a fair approximation to make. But we also drove the X5 and we thought it was a very strong luxury um, vehicle, premium vehicle yeah. that made you feel special. Yeah, for sure, for sure. The X5 does make you feel that way, but I don't think the X5 has any link to BMW's heritage or traditional dynamics, so I, I don't think the X7 does either, and I don't think that matters. I think it, I think of, it's, it's I think it kind of does, because I'm trying to figure out the buyer, right? The buyer is now somebody who probably previously owned an X5 and was like, I'm going to upgrade. Maybe the buyer is someone who wants an X5 with a usable third row. Right. But I don't know who's cross-shopping an X5 and an X7. It's probably an evolution. Mm-hmm. And uh, it might be someone who already has a 3 Series or a 6 Series and they don't want to get a GLS. Or maybe they want a tow. I don't think they're going to sell a lot of these. No one sells a lot of the three row, big 3-row SUVs anywhere. Okay, They're not volume sellers. But it's it's very profitable, especially considering it's essentially an X5. I mean, they didn't have to reinvent the wheel here. So there's a lot of money to be made by BMW with this vehicle. Forgetting about the third row, we previously said that the um, the 640 – what was it called? The 640 GT, GT was probably the most ideal family vehicle that BMW – Well, the most useful vehicle they made. Right. 
Do you think the X7 will steal that that crown? No, no, not 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 at all. I, I think that's very interesting. I don't think. Well, I don't think they're doing the same thing. Period. I know, but I mean, you want, I think, sometimes you want a big vehicle for that usefulness. Well, the X7 is more of a statement piece. It's like, uh, hey, ah. this is what I can afford. Whereas the six six forty is more like a. I hope no one sees me in this, but it's really awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like that's so confusing too. <laughs> I actually saw I, – I, I walked past one the other day and there was very young people driving it. And I, I, my, my friend who was walking with me, she said that that has to be their parents' car. Uh-huh. But uh, I was intrigued that perhaps it was theirs. I mean I just like – I just love looking at who's buying that. We had that great feedback from one of our listeners who talked about why they bought one. And mm-hmm. they bought one for pretty much all the reasons that we loved it because it's super useful, comfortable, fast – um, has a bunch of great features and so it's, much space in the back seat, and yeah. you can get them for almost nothing at a huge discount because BMW dealers do not know how to sell them. So they're 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 hanging around showrooms, and you could get a, a slice off the MSRP and drive home with something that I mean, no one else on your block is going to have. Um, mm-hmm. And it's super useful, just that hatch and everything about it. But it, it looks really strange. <laughs> what do I love about the 640 GT? No split tailgate. There you go. See, Wonderful. right away, more useful than the X7 in one respect. <laughs> oh, seriously. That's and it has a smaller grill, right? Oh, man, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm not some kind of grill measurer. Hey, I carry around – everyone carries around a tape measure. Don't look at me like I'm the crazy one. All right, let's talk about what I drove, which is something that you've driven recently as well, but with an added twist. Now, I drove the 2019, the all-new Mazda 3 with all-wheel drive. Okay. And that's one of the new features of the Mazda 3. It's a very important new feature of the Mazda 3 because um, only one other compact in in its segment comes with um, all-wheel drive, and that's the Subaru Impreza. And there's a little bit to talk about here because – this is also a very unique um, suspension setup because they ditched their multi-link rear suspension. They replaced it with a beam-type suspension. Beam with an M at the end, not N. I don't know what a bean type of suspension would be. So Magic please. beans, man. Magic beans. <laughs> and it's one of the few cars today that have a beam-type suspension and a all-wheel drive system. Did you okay. know that? <clears throat> I did not know that. It's fascinating. Now you know. Uh, we got to drive this car both in the snow and on the road. And even in the snow, we, we also got uh, a demonstration of what the new G-Vectoring control, that's uh, Mazda's um, handling enhancement via torque um, vectoring. It's, uh, you can either turn that, I mean, you can't turn it on or off, but they had some technicians there to demonstrate how the car reacts with the feature and without the feature. And uh, obviously, the, with the feature on, the car was much more responsive and reactive to all of your inputs. So uh, that was doubly so with the all-wheel drive system and in the snow. Uh, so, it was a perfect demonstration. So my question is, did you drive one without the all-wheel drive? I didn't. They did have a manual, a very base manual front-wheel drive version um, to test, but there was a very long lineup of journalists who were, uh, who, were who got there before me, and I didn't have a chance. So okay. I was a little bummed out by that. Because I, I did drive that manual two-liter, but I was just curious to see if you'd had the chance to back-to-back against the all-wheel drive. So uh, how did it feel? So let, let's uh, talk about, I guess, another car in its segment that has all-wheel drive, and that would prove there's only one, and <laughs> that would be the Impreza, right? Yep, and the Impreza is a, is a pretty solid vehicle. Um, it, it has all-wheel drive right from the get-go. It can come with a manual transmission with that all-wheel drive system, and those are its top positives. Um, it 
isn't the prettiest car, both exterior and interior. It isn't the most quiet car in its class either. Um, I would say it's fairly refined, to be honest. It's not uh, a really ugly car. I mean, sorry, a really poorly uh, done interior, but the Mazda just outclasses it in so many ways, be it exterior styling, interior styling, NVH. Um, I'm not sure about the infotainment system. Uh, this is something that you talked about a lot. But you pay for it, right? Like, it's not cheap to get this all-wheel drive system. I mean, a base yeah. Impreza is like seventeen grand, I think. Uh, yeah, a, a base Impreza will start um, just under – like, the sedan will start right under 20000 and the hatch will be just over 20000 While a base all-wheel drive version will – of the Mazda 3, you get with the select package. You can't get, like, a regular base model. You get it with one of the optional packages. And it will start at uh, just under 25000 Wow. while the all-wheel drive – Mazda 3 hatchback comes at just over 25. So my question to you is, is it worth $5,000 more just to have all-wheel drive? Um, in, in, in a... In, in a, a three. If, in if, a three. If we're comparing it to the only competitor that it has, is it worth $5,000 more? That's a tough question because uh, I keep wondering what a buyer in this class really wants. If they want a refined vehicle, a really fully thought out, beautiful interior, beautiful exterior, then yeah, the Mazda 3 will definitely be that vehicle that can that can impress you in all conditions and even when it doesn't need to have, be an all-wheel drive vehicle. You know, the Impreza, I think people buy it because it has all-wheel drive and they're happy with that one statement, right? It is It is a compact car. Um, under 20 grand with all-wheel drive, and I like that. I'm, but I'm just curious. Mazda I'm just, 3 is a compact car that does more than just have all-wheel drive. You know what I'm, I mean? Yeah, but I'm curious as to how many people who want all-wheel drive and uh, how many people out there actually want all-wheel drive in a compact car badly enough to pay the premium that Mazda is asking for. I'm very curious to see what the take rate is going to be for this vehicle, given the price difference. I think it's also curious because there's also this – I mean if you bat, if you really badly want all-wheel drive, you can also get a crossover, a CX-3, right? The yeah, Mazda that's, has a CX-3. That's a good point. It's a yeah. tiny bit smaller. Actually, it's much smaller. And But you have that all-wheel drive system and you have it at a low price. So there's something else I want to talk about with the Mazda 3. There's a couple of other things that have kind of come up over the last – since I drove the car. When, mm-hmm. when I was in um, California driving the front-wheel drive version of this car, we asked I asked Point Blake, the project manager for the Mazda 3, if there would be a signature version of the car coming out. And I was told no. And now I've heard rumors that there will be a signature version of the car coming out. Did you hear anything about that? Nothing about that came out during my uh, test drive with the vehicle. There were some people who were wondering about the 2.5 turbo. But that is it. Uh, and the Skyactiv X. In fact, something that's very funny to me is that they wouldn't commit to telling us that Skyactiv X is for sure coming in this generation of yeah, Mazda 3. Exactly. How that's, why is that happening? That's my next you point. Drove. Sorry, go ahead. But that's my next point, Sammy, is I don't think Skyactiv X is coming. That blows my mind. That actually really weirds me out because you and I drove Skyactiv X prototypes. On the la- essentially last generation mules, like Frankenstein's, it w- it didn't seem that far off, did it? Well, I mean, it was really hard to tell from those produ- those uh, pre production cars, but or mules, as you as you put, it's a great way to, to describe them. But um, I mean, they were is- ro- they were on the road. They were there. nobody had any issues of of drivability and um, or or reliability concerns. I mean, the technicians and the engineers definitely were because that's they know these things inside and out, but. The way we drove them, where we drove them, the performance that they offered 
and the fuel economy that they were promising seemed pretty, pretty good. Right. Well, again, that was a prototype car that was in no way production ready. So I can't with confidence back up anything that you just said. I don't necessarily feel the same way. Um, But what I'm seeing is this really feels like Sky Active D all over again. That they've developed something that they ready for our market. That's not ready for our market. Sky Active D was never ready for our market, and that's why we never got it. We never got the diesel version of that four cylinder engine, and now it's starting to look like Sky Active X, the technology either isn't ready for our market or isn't going to give them enough of a fuel economy and power advantage to be worth marketing. Um, Because here's the thing. If it costs a lot to build this engine and it's only an incremental change and you're going to have to charge customers more for this engine, the, the math might not work. It just might not be a fiscally responsible decision for a small company like Mazda to do. This is very important because for whatever reason, I found the 2.5 liter four cylinder in the Mazda 3 to be a tiny bit underwhelming. And I wasn't expecting that because I've always felt that the Mazda 3 actually had a pretty nice um, engine and it doesn't quite feel like it wants to rev up very much. It feels a little lethargic at times. And that also might be a a byproduct of the added weight from all-wheel drive system or the transmission always wanting to be in the highest gear. And if if you find that underwhelming, Skyactiv-X is not going to offer more power, or at least not not meaningfully more power. It should offer some torque, and at least it comes with more fuel economy as well. Well, In theory. In theory. But we've had no commitment to numbers from Mazda about this. And so, I mean, I've heard people say that the solution is going to be a 2.5T signature. So they're going to make a signature version, which is their luxury trim, and they're Mm -hmm. going to give us the turbo engine, and that's going to distract us, or not distract us. I mean, that's not not fair to say, but it is going to fill a hole in the Mazda 3 lineup that maybe SkyActiv-X isn't going to be able to fill. It's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, I don't know how I can sit sit here in in my office and say, oh yeah, SkyActiv-X isn't coming. I mean, I don't have that... the authority to or the information to say that for sure but like you said we drove it a year ago it's still not here and not only is it not here but we've had zero commitment from mazda about it will be here second quarter of 2020 or anything like that you know normally there's there's some type of hedging that's right because this was supposed to be a a premier product for them and it's it just doesn't really feel like it's going it's gone down the path that they wanted it to can we also talk about the styling of the Mazda 3? I, I mean, we talked about the styling of the X, X7. We might as well talk about it a little bit here. But they did some really interesting, I don't know, positively interesting or negatively interesting stuff with the body of the new Mazda 3. There's no, like, regular lines. There's no shoulder on the hatch. It's a very blobby, smooth blobby-looking car that they somehow infused um, texture and and some kind of body line or, or some kind of um, trickery in the paint finish. And that's what they've managed to do. This is, the, this is what they emphasize on us, that depending on the angle at which you look at and the lighting of the vehicle, you will see some interesting elements happening on the side uh, profile of the car. Did you notice this? Did you see this? No, not really. Um, yeah, one, one thing I, I do want to point out is that Mazda is really going hard on multiple press launches for this vehicle because it's so important to them mm-hmm. and remember all that pelvis talk that i had to go through <laughs> yeah yes i do I remember feel, all the i kind of feel like you went through a little bit of pelvis talk too just in a different area i didn't have the same pelvis talk as you did but they did mention that they wanted to take a look at modern human movement uh oh, sorry natural human movement um and apply the same or, or activate the same muscles that you use when walking while you're in the car, which I thought was very very interesting. 
Um, well, you know, uh, I also wanted to say that um, some of that um, Sky Active X talk that I had just now, it came out of conversation with a colleague of ours, uh, Stefan Ogbach. I just want to give him uh, a, a hat tip for he's he's really in on on the next generation Mazda 3 or sorry I guess it's current generation now um he's very interested in the subject and has dived pretty deep down into the possibilities for it coming in the future so he's been a great source of information um and speculation about the car and when you drove the car you talked a lot about the infotainment system and how they moved away from the touch screens and they explained us to us again why they did that they said that um using a touch screen requires large gross hand uh sorry large i think they called it gross motor movements or large yeah gross motor movements it sounds like we're doing gross stuff while using our touch screen which is not true but uh apparently when you reach over to use an, uh, a touchscreen infotainment system the the chance of you taking your sh- your back off the seat back of the vehicle um to use it is really high and when that happens your arms are less stabilized and you're more likely to move the car um, the steering wheel while you're operating that touchscreen. Well, there's also, so, the, there's also the fact that for this version Mazda 3, they moved these the touchscreen, the screen itself, farther away from the driver for styling reasons and then right. probably realized, hey, this is too, too, far far. To be, too far to be a touchscreen, so I guess we can't have that. Now, the infotainment system, that screen, so, th- so obviously what, I'm, what I was getting to is that they've replaced all of the movements with what they described as fine motor movements, which is uh, a rotary knob by the gear shifter that's, um, that re- requires only you to twiddle your fingers to make it um, work. So that infotainment system is, very, is, is kind of far set in the dash. It's very skinny. It's not very tall at all. Um, and I found that the infotainment system and the rear view mirror pinched the forward visibility quite a bit. So it looks like you're driving through a, a horizontal um, hourglass. At, of wow. So that is I an was, interesting criticism. I did not notice that. But I'll, I really I didn't like look. the forward visibility of this vehicle, even when I, was, when I had the seat uh, as low as possible. And that, I think that's something that a lot of cars are, are encountering this issue because of having to put cameras or sensors on the top half of the, of the uh, windshield. Yeah, or cameras that watch the driver, like in the uh, Forester, with its um, <laughs> with its evil AI system that's just constantly monitoring your every activity and reporting it back to the mothership. You just love calling out the uh, Subaru driver focus system only so because you love podcast. it so much. <laughs> only because you are probably legally married to it somewhere. <laughs> In the only place that allows you to marry a driver focus AI system. So. Silicon Valley or Chiba City, Japan. These are the two. <laughs> um, can I talk to you about the, the size of the vehicle? They didn't increase any of the, the space in the vehicle at all. So accommodating this uh, all-wheel drive system um, meant that you'll find about half an inch less head, front headroom, rear headroom, and rear legroom when compared to the outgoing model. Wait, 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 wait. So that's and that's across everything. So that's the front wheel drive models also have that decrease. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. So they thought that the all wheel drive system was going to be so profitable that they were willing to sacrifice across the board in terms of internal interior interior room. I mean, it's a, on average you're losing about half an inch in these in these three um, categories. Yeah, but you're the one who wears a top hat all the time. It was super that's critical of the X5. I mean, it's, <laughs> you're, su- you're really accommodating here. You're like, oh, this is fine. But in the X5, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, so, I mean, I didn't find it to be like like uh, cramped back there, but I just wanted people to understand that they didn't make, if you had issues with the outgoing model, 
in terms of its space, which it wasn't, I think, the most competitive in terms of space. Uh, if you had issues with it, you're not going to get uh, any – you're not going to find any success in the new model. Is there anything else that you want to say about the car before we wrap it up? Yeah, this is one of the first cars with a new Bose audio system called Bass Match. So Bass Match. Yeah, Bass Match. Bass Match, like Face Match? Is it like Tinder for bass? It is. It's exactly that. Okay? So what they did is they found out that putting a, a, a subwoofer in your door panel was probably the, uh, a, a bad yeah, idea. Yeah, I got this speech, too. You got this speech. And so they've moved the, the base from the door panel towards the the kick panel between the door hinge and the front wheel well. Um, and that's going to result in less um, noise and vibrations so, in the doors, which let's hopefully that works out. I have a question for you. To demonstrate this, did they lock you in a car with an audio technician? Yep. And did they turn the music up to an uncomfortable level and then look at you while it was playing? No, I actually uh, – I turned it up and turned it down. I took full control of the volume Oh, you're like, I didn't think to do that. And all of a sudden it was like maxed out and I, I didn't know what to do. And it was a song I was unfamiliar with. It was all this pressure <laughs> yeah. and then I couldn't hear anything for like an hour after. Well, uh, I Bass mean – match. I, <laughs> yeah, that's what bass match is all about. <laughs> so I, uh, I like to talk throughout these whole demonstrations of audio systems because I don't think they're, they're representative of what – a pause, uh, like the true usability of the audio system is. So I tried to talk to the technician to find out what they were trying to achieve. And I said, you know, wh- what is the, how did they develop this while accommodating for, you know, road noise, wind noise, bumpy roads, gravel roads, snow covered roads, whatever it is. We understand what roads are. Thank you for that. But you know what, what I'm trying to get at is uh, they, they seem to think that people listen to their audio while they're sitting still and the car is off. And that's not when people big roads, that. country roads, city roads, mountain roads. That cool <laughs> road from Outrun. Not to mention Rainbow Road. Rainbow How Road. Did you miss that? <laughs> I would love for you to ask with a straight face, a technician, how this sound system will function on Rainbow Road. Um, I feel like I feel like all of our fans who are looking forward to hearing about how the Mazda Three is will get a very interesting. Um, We'll be disappointed. <laughs> uh, although I will admit I have um, a, a comparison coming up with the Mazda 3 all-wheel drive and a Subaru Impreza coming up in the very near future, and I can't wait to tell you about oh, it. That's great. That's going to be more repetitive content for the podcast, and so that is exactly <laughs> what we need. Okay. Well, what are you going to talk about later? Uh, n- next week, I'm going to talk about my time with the Jeep Grand Cherokee Limited X which okay. is uh, the Poser Jeep that I've actually been hoping for. And um, I'm also going to talk about my own Jeep because, Sammy, I bought what? a Jeep. Yeah, I bought a Jeep. Well, con- congratulations, I guess. Uh, don't be so quick to congratulate me, Sammy, because yeah. it is a very old Jeep. And we will we'll discuss that at length in the next episode. And as I mentioned, I'll talk a little bit about uh, a G550, Mercedes-Benz G550 that I drove for a short period of time. And, uh, we, well, we can talk about off-roading shenanigans and what the brand recognition of the G-Class really is. And if you want to be disappointed by past podcasts, you can do that uh-huh. by going to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. All of our episodes are there, and you can also sign up to listen to us. We have RSS feeds. We have links to every single podcast service out there pretty much, Spotify and Google Play and Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Podcast This and Podcast That. Everything you could possibly desire is there. There's a web player, too, if you don't feel like signing up because you don't want the man to know what you're up to. That's mm-hmm. We're completely cool with that. 
But if you do feel like, you know, filling out some forms or typing things, you can get in touch with us through a contact form on the website. That comes straight to us. I'm telling you, there's no filter. There's no, like, profanity filter. There's no... We cannot afford a filter. <laughs> we definitely We will afford. see whatever you send our way. That is our... <laughs> That is our dark promise to you. That is our promise. So if you want to get in touch, I promise if you use that uh, contact form, we will totally read it and we will either cry or laugh with laughter or with joyous laughter. Or toss and turn through sleepless nights. Yes. Wondering why, why we looked at that. figure out what you were trying to tell us. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> if you want to do it in a more public manner, you can reach out to me, that's Sammy, uh, your, fellow, your, your friendly automotive journalist, Sammy Hadjassad. I'm on Twitter. At Sammy Ha, like you're laughing. At Sammy underscore Ha. That's true. Um, And you can find Ben. That's Benjamin Hunting over there. He's on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Or you could email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. That's perfect. Um, I can't wait to talk to you about this Jeep you spent some money on next week. So I am waiting in anticipation to see how that goes. And for everyone else, uh, hopefully you'll join us to hear more Jeep Talk, and thank you for listening.